Let's start in chapter 11. I'll read, let's read the first 12 verses. Next week, if the Lord tarries, we'll pick up at verse 13. So it says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty-two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, one thousand two hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, the two lampstands, standing before the God of the earth. If any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut up the heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and shall kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So it's speaking of Jerusalem. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not allow their bodies to be put in the graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them that saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. What an interesting portion of Scripture. Uh, look, one of the things that we want to take note of here is the Lord never has a season, never has a generation without witness, without testimony. Even in this incredible scene, twice it tells us they prophesy these two. Revelation 19:10, the second half of the verse says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So no doubt these two are talking about Israel's Messiah in the context of Israel. Um, as he has them there, he has us here now. He hasn't left this generation, this nation, this world today without testimony, without witness either, as there are brothers and sisters around the world, some being persecuted and martyred, but the testimony is there today, and we need to think about that. 
Um, we'll talk a little bit about who they are and uh, look at the duration of time. We, we find what comes into the picture before us here is these two are in the temple area. Now, John's told right from the beginning, and he participates again in this. Look at verse 1. And there was given me, John says, a reed like unto a rod, which was used for, you know, for architecture then, for, for doing a, a measurement and so forth. It was given me a reed like a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure, both imperatives, you must Rise, you must measure the temple of God, the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave it out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they trod underfoot forty two months. So interesting picture. He says to him here, I want you to measure, definite article, the temple. It's really interesting to look at scholars from different theological backgrounds who try to make this the church, this temple. Man, do they, you really have to torture the text to make it line up with that in any way. This is talking about a temple in Jerusalem, rebuilt. Look. We look at the news today and we see, and even if we get distracted with things in this country and so forth, the greatest tension in the world is in the Middle East. That's where oil is, it's where Islam is, it's where the Jews are, it's where no matter what you think, the greatest tensions in the world are not around Washington or Moscow, they're around Jerusalem in the Middle East. Three of the world's main religions dispute over that piece of territory. And the Jews are back there. The reason the tension is there, because they're back there after 2,000 years. No generation has ever seen this in the church. Luther and Calvin and, and so forth, the reformers didn't expect to see it. And no generation of Jews have seen this. This is the first generation since 1948. They're back in the land. They have possession of Jerusalem. And the land. And for the first time in 2,000 years, there are groups of religious people in Israel talking about the temple. There's a group there called the Temple Institute. <clears throat> they have replicated some of the instruments for the temple, putting them on a computer, coming up with the exact measurements, the fire pans and the shovels and the harps. Uh, the menorah, just some of the things. Uh, I was there once at the institute, and a lady pulled out one of the harps and let me strum on it for a while, and I was thinking, I wonder if some priest is going to be strumming on this someday. Uh, <clears throat> most of the Israelis think that group are kooky. Most of the Israelis think about them what most of America thinks about you. You believe what? You believe in what book? You believe who's coming? You know, they, they think the same thing. Now, the Orthodox Jews in Israel believe that there will be a temple, but they don't like the Temple Institute people. They think they're crazy because they believe that only the Messiah 
can build the temple. Zechariah says, uh, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne. So the religious Jews in Israel, the ultra-Orthodox, think this is crazy stuff. Only the Messiah, when he comes, can build the temple. And some of them actually believe it's going to come down out of heaven. By and large, most Jews are Zionists in Israel. They care about the country. They care about their freedoms. But they don't tie into all of this, you know, stress over the temple. But look, the scripture takes for granted, it presupposes, as it gives us this information, there will be a temple. You can argue all day against that if you want to be wrong. That's fine with me. But it says in Daniel chapter 9, in the last days, it speaks of the Antichrist. And it says that he's going to sign a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. Okay, we we good there? Anybody? Oh, you should know Daniel chapter nine. Isaiah twenty-eight fifteen says that Israel's going to make a covenant with death and with hell. Jesus in chapter five of John said, "I've come in my Father's name, and you have not received me. Another's going to come in His own name, and Him you will receive." Daniel said when that seven-year treaty is signed, and that's how people alive on the earth are going to know who the Antichrist is, that seven-year treaty, someone out of Europe can't do that now because Islam and Russia is on the front porch of Israel. Ezekiel 37 tells us there's a valley of dry bones, and Ezekiel sees the vision of them coming back to life again. We've seen Israel reborn as a nation. Then he describes a confrontation in the Middle East with Russia and Islam and says that when that happens, that confrontation, there's going to be a great shaking in the land and every wall and every structure is going to fall to the ground. The Dome of the Rock Mosque, the Al-Aqsa Mosque are probably part of that that are on the Temple Mount today. And then there's going to be a rebuilding in that area. But the whole world's going to be shaken Then the Antichrist can step forward out of Europe with a plan for peace in the Middle East. And the whole world will just, anything, just whatever, just get it done. Let's do it. We can't exist like this. So Daniel tells us when that seven-year peace treaty signed, in the midst of it, that the Antichrist will come and he'll cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. So there's going to be sacrifice. There's going to be oblation. In the midst of that seven years, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 15, writing to the Jews in the last days, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, then let those who read understand Jesus speaking of it as future. And he says, let those then who are in Judea flee to the mountains and so forth. Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says that lawless one, the Antichrist, is not going to be revealed until the Holy Spirit in his restraining work is taken out of the way. And it says then that lawless one will go into the very temple 
and proclaim himself to be God. So Paul, looking forward at that point, expected there to be a temple. No doubt John, as he's writing somewhere around 90 AD, his mind must be blown because Titus destroyed the temple over 25 years before this. It's leveled. And here God is allowing him to see a temple that's rebuilt. Look, understand this. It's an apostate temple. It is not the temple in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48. It's not that temple. It's not ordained of God. The Antichrist will sit himself there. It is an affront to the gospel that a sacrifice would take place there is an affront to the salvation to the cross of Jesus Christ. We're told in the book of Hebrews that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished to tell us die, paid in full. But there will be this, and it's simply under a religious context, not born again, <clears throat> this temple rebuilt there on the Temple Mount. It says there, the court that is without the temple, leave that out, measure it not, it is given to the Gentiles, and um, they shall trot it underfoot for 42 months. So, interesting Israel today, the main structure on the Temple Mount is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It's been there for 1,400 years. And you have the, the, I mean, the Dome of the Rock Mosque, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. But north of there, there's a little portico in the temple courts. And all of the stones of you, when you walk across the temple area, are big square stones that were brought in. But under that one dome there, there's an octagon of stone there, not shaped like any other stone up there, and they've done soundings on it, and it is a piece of bedrock. It wasn't brought in. It's, it's, a, it's a flat rock that was that cropped off there and smoothed. Asher Kaufman, one of the leading archaeologists in Israel, an Israel archaeologist, said the interesting thing about this dome is it lines up with the east gate and on the back side, we found, as we've excavated the western wall, a door there that the Talmud and other writings speak about that was in line with the temple and the east gate where the priest could exit. And what's right in line with those things is the dome. It's called the Dome of the Tablets, Arabic. The Dome of the Tablets or the Dome of the Spirits. We know... In, in Samuel, Second Samuel, that when God lets the fire fall from heaven, it falls on the threshing floor of Aruna. And that becomes the place dedicated where the temple is built. Threshing floor, you have to have a flat rock. There isn't anything flat under the dome of the rock. There are those who feel that would be the place. If they confirm that in any way, and all these structures go down, this Antichrist can show up on the scene and give the Jews the right to the northern part of the Temple Mount to build their temple and give Islam the right to the bottom half where the Dome of the Rock Mosque was and so forth, and they can leave the courts without. He's, he, John is told, look, measure the temple, measure the altar, I'm assuming that's the brass altar, and 
measure the worshipers. There's no measurements given in Revelation 21. We have the measurements for the city. They actually give us what they measured. Here it just says measure them. So there's a picture of God weighing them out and looking at them. Measure the worshipers. Isn't that interesting? But the court leave without, that's given over to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, it says, are going to tread down Jerusalem, the holy city, for 42 months. Now look, John would have understood the jargon. It means to have authority over in Joshua chapter 1 the Lord said to Joshua every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that he says I have given you as I said on the Moses and it says it was given unto them to tread on it for 42 months interesting period of time okay as you look in the scripture, you have this 42 months, it's three and a half years. It's mentioned here, it's mentioned in Revelation 13:5, talking about the Antichrist, his ministry, 42 months. It's called in verse 3, 1,260 days. Chapter 12, verse 6 mentions the 1,260 days. Chapter 12, verse 14 mentions a time, year, times, two years, and half a time, three and a half years. So what we look at, as we see here, this last seven-year period. By the way, interesting, there are 360-day years, 12, 30-day months. Old Testament prophecies measured that way with these great quakes that will take place. I don't know. I'm just surmising. Does it change the orbit of the earth so we go from a 365-day year back to a 360-day year don't know. But what we're hearing half of the time is 1,260 days. That's the way God is measuring it. They're going to tread down Jerusalem 42 months. Is that the second half of Daniel's 70 week, the tribulation period called the Great Tribulation? Or is that the first half if the Antichrist signs a treaty, seven-year treaty with Israel, no doubt the UN's going to be involved. No doubt there are going to be forces there to ensure that peace. No doubt it will be, as it may be here, given over to the Gentiles under their authority for 42 months. That fits well also. But the two prophets now are going to speak for 1,260 days my opinion, that has to be the first three and a half years. Because at the end of their prophecy, the Antichrist then overcomes them. The Antichrist is fighting somebody else at the end of the second 1,260 days. Their bodies lay in the streets for three and a half days. If the second half, it all ends at 1,260 days. And then the whole world parties and gives presents. They're out shopping, Christmas shopping during that time. That's not happening at the end of the tribulation. All the tribes of the earth mourn because of, of him. The sun goes out, the moon goes out. They're crying, you know, as the Lord comes in his glory. This has to be the first three and a half years. Which means when that peace treaty is signed, immediately these two begin to speak. No doubt the ministry of the 144,000 related to them. It says they have power 
to shut up the heaven that it doesn't rain. We're told in chapter 7, immediately at the beginning, these angels come and hold back the wind. It seems like it may be on behalf of them. It says they're given power, authority to do these things. Interesting picture here. It says this, I will give power, authority unto my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. God's heart is broken mourning over the way the world and the Jews have turned away from him. 1,260 days. You know, the... Jerusalem trodden down 42 months, you know, time, time and a half a time, two and a, three and a half years. But when God looks at the ministry of his people, it's days, 1,260 days. He saw every day they were prophesying. He watched them every single day. Their ministry was up after 1,260 days. Then they died. Until then, indestructible. 1,260 days is given to them, his two witnesses. Now, who are they? Who are these? Wonderful just to read and watch the scholars argue. When I, I know who they are, it's wonderful to see that argument take place. You know, look, there's different opinions. You can have your own. I have my distorted opinion. You can have your distorted opinion. Uh, are they around today, whoever they are? You know, when I go to Israel, normally I keep my eyes peeled, looking around, seeing if I look somebody that looks like they could be one of the two prophets. Are they wandering around today? It's just something I think about. Some say this is Joshua and Zerubbabel, because it mentions the lampstands um, from Zechariah, chapter 4. But Joshua and Zerubbabel supplied the oil for the lampstand. They weren't the lampstands, but they certainly were two witnesses when that temple had been rebuilt. Some say that it's Elijah and Enoch. Some say Elijah and Moses. Every scholar I read, besides the Joshua and Zerubbabel guys, which are far and few between, all the rest agree that one of them must be Elijah. It tells us in Malachi, in the end of our Old Testament, It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So there are those who believe this is Elijah. Uh, You know, some thought John the Baptist was Elijah, but when the Pharisees, John chapter 1, asked him, Are you that prophet? He said, No, I'm not him. Jesus, because, you know, Gabriel said to Zechariah, He's going to go forward in the spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus said, well, this was Elijah, if you can receive it. Matthew 17, 11, he says, but Elijah shall yet come. So most everyone agrees that one of these two prophets is Elijah. We're not told, you know, is he going to come down in a fiery chariot? Is he going to get dropped off? Is he going to, we don't know how that's going to happen. He was, you know, so everybody's in agreement about that. Jews, Gentiles, biblical scholars. The second one, there are many who think it's Elijah and Enoch. And the reason they think it's Elijah and Enoch, because it says in Hebrews, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. So they would say, well, then, you know, Moses would have to break the rules. 
like Jairus' daughter and like Lazarus, like the widow of Nain's son and like Dorcas. That wouldn't be right. It can be Enoch. That's fine with me. I'll be on the mezzanine. Whoever they are, it's good with me. It's my conviction, personally, that it's Moses and Elijah, which would be the law and the prophets. It tells us in Deuteronomy, at the end of Deuteronomy there, that God told Moses, you know, it's interesting, in Psalm 90, he said, you know, three score and ten, man's going to live to 70, and if he lives to 80, it's going to be, you know, he, lack of strength, and it's going to be sore displeasure. And then he lived to be 120. <laughs> but it says that 120, his eye was not dim, his natural forces were not abated, and God called him out on Pisgah and said, die today. It actually says God kissed him into eternity, remarkably. And if you ask the Jews today, where's, where's Moses buried? None of them know. They'd have shrine there if they knew where it was, no doubt, or a temple or something. We know this. He shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's Moses and Elijah that show up. So whatever body Elijah showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration with that was taken up in the chariot is the same kind of body Moses showed up in on the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe that's why it tells us in Jude that Michael the archangel disputed with Satan over the body of Moses because God had a future plan for it. So in my mind, God now giving this last testimony to a lost world and to the Jews primarily in Jerusalem here, the law and the prophets there speaking to them again, but speaking about Jesus the Messiah. 144,000 Jews speaking to the world about Jesus the Messiah. The signs that they do, shutting up the heavens. Elijah did that. In fact, it says for their 1,260 days, it didn't rain. Tells us in in James chapter 5, around verse 17, it says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And it encourages us to pray. And it says, remember, Elijah was a man of like passions, yet he prayed and God shut up the heavens for three and a half years during his previous ministry. I think we see the same thing here. He calls down fire from heaven, turning water to blood. Certainly Moses did that. And then smiting the earth with plagues. You think this pandemic has been a pain COVID-19, this is just a warm-up. The world ain't seen nothing yet. Because it's going to say when these guys die, a whole world has a party because they tormented the whole earth. And they brought pandemics and plagues as often as they would. They had the authority. Very interesting picture. So my opinion, you got Moses and Elijah here in this picture. The two witnesses, I will give authority to my two witnesses. They shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, the two lampstands, no longer the church. The church was seven lampstands. The two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. Remember Elijah. At the end of his ministry, first two chapters of Second Samuel, Ahab sends soldiers to take Elijah. And Elijah says, oh yeah? Calls down fire out of heaven, consumes them. 
Ahab sends a second group of soldiers. Elijah says, oh yeah? Fire comes down and consumes them. Ahab sends a third group, and the commanding officer says, yo, I got a wife, I got kids. You know, I'm only here because he told me I had to be here. And then Elijah sends him with a message back. But it was, it was Elijah, you know, kind of reflects his ministry. Fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power, authority, to shut up the heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And that's exactly what Elijah did for three and a half years earlier. And they have power over the waters, plural, to turn them to blood, Moses certainly, and to smite the earth with all plagues, infectious diseases, as often as they would. We see that with Moses. We see that in Egypt and so forth. We see these things taking place. And it says, and when they have finished their testimony, the beast, by the way, the, the, the beast is mentioned 36 times in Revelation. This is first mentioned here. This is the first mention of the Antichrist. The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, shall overcome them, and kill them. It says, look, when they had finished their testimony, they were indestructible till then. 1,260 days. Couldn't touch them. Couldn't do anything to them. You mess with them, fire came down. You were in trouble. 1,261 days, you can kill them and snuff them out. What it does is it tells us that until our days are over, we're indestructible. If you're serving the Lord and you're giving testimony to your generation, you're serving his purposes, you're indestructible until he's done with you. These two guys were God's testimony in the earth. The Antichrist tried to overcome them, couldn't overcome them. The Antichrist is in a bad mood. Because here's these two guys, 144,000, talking about the Christ. He's the instead of Christ. They're talking about the real Christ, and there's nothing he can do. But 1,260 days is the length of their ministry. They couldn't start a day early, and they couldn't die a day late. Our days are numbered, the scripture says. There's extenuating circumstances, but no secondary causes. There's only one. And after 1,260 days, it says, then the beast that comes out of the bottomless pit, he made war against them and he killed them. That's why in chapter 13, as we look at the Antichrist, it's going to say, and they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war against him? Because he had stepped in. These two prophets were the standard of God in the earth. Their voices were heard. Because it's going to tell us the nations, kindreds, tongue, they all celebrated when they were gone. And once they're killed, no doubt then the Antichrist steps up. He's then the power of God. That's probably when he goes into the temple. Second Thessalonians pro proclaims himself to be God. He just killed the two prophets. That's the desolation of abomination, no doubt re directly related to the midpoint here of the tribulation. 
I don't know. Somebody may shoot him in the head when he does that, and that maybe that's when his, like the two prophets, he'll come back to life again. He'll receive a mortal head wound and so forth. We'll, we'll look at those things and talk about them. But 1,260 days. How many days do we have left? You know, Moses said, teach us the number of our days. Would you like to see? If God could put up and say, I'm going to live to be 120. Are you kidding? You'd gripe. Of course, if you looked at it and said, it said April 1st, you'd say, April Fool's. You know, you know, (laughs) would you like to know? You know this, that until he's done with you and your testimony, you're indestructible. It's wonderful as we look at it. And it says, then he killed them. And look, their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom, perversion, destroyed by fire. And it's called Egypt, idolatry, destroyed with plagues, where also our Lord was crucified. So it's Jerusalem. And they of the people, look, kindreds, tongues, and nations, plural, look, shall see their dead bodies three and a half days and shall not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves, to be buried. So this is the first time this could ever take place. Nations, kindreds, people's tongues are all going to have a visual. There's optics involved. They're going to be able to see. That couldn't happen 100 years ago. Now everybody can watch it in their hand on their mobile device. Everybody can watch it, see it. I don't know if Wolf Blitzer is going to be there. There's going to be things going on, you know. And the whole world, it says, is going to see this and watch it. It doesn't tell us, are their bodies mutilated after the Antichrist makes war against them and kills them? But they want to lay them, let them lay there three and a half days. Look, three and a half days, they stinketh. You know, it was four days with, uh, with Lazarus, but three and a half, four doesn't make any difference. And if you're mutilated and laying in the sun, you stinketh sooner. You know, the, the, you can imagine the scene. And it's so gruesome that the whole world is watching it. You know, you can imagine people flying in, coming there, standing around, you know, looking to see what's going on. We see that happen in different places. You know, somebody sees, oh, there's, there's honey, there's uh, Joey, you know, there's our son or something. These people, cameras, everybody's around. There's probably, you know, drones taking pictures from above. They're looking, and people all around the world, honey, look, that dude, prophets are dead. Look at this. It's unbelievable. You know, just, and it's, it says here, now they start to have dead prophets day. Look what it says. And they that dwell on the earth shall rejoice. Only time that word is used. It has the idea of celebrating, having a party. They shall rejoice and make merry. And look, they shall send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. That's the first three and a half years. It says that they're going to rejoice. Because these two prophets tormented. There was drought. There was famine. You know, things we see, fire coming down. You know, some of the trumpets, we see fire coming down. These are the two people behind that in the minds of the whole world. And you can see people saying, honey, come here. Look, they're dead. You know, yay, celebrating. Everybody's having a party. Don't bury them. Let them lay there and rot. You know, everybody's watching. And it says that they start then to celebrate. And they start to give gifts to one another. They go out Christmas shopping. 
we should do this every year, Dead and Prophets Day. You know, we'll, we'll have roadkill instead of turkey. You know, we'll do this or that. You know, just you can imagine how crazy this is. And isn't it interesting? They're celebrating because the two who had tormented them have been taken out of the way for three and a half days. You and I celebrate because the one who we worship was dead and took our torment out of the way forever. Right? That's why we're here today because someone else took our torment on the cross and died in our place. Their celebration is completely out of kilter because they're going to rise up again and condemn that generation, but they're celebrating because their torment is over. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's why we worship, because our torment has been removed. He cried, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So I never have to say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthini. I never have to do that, ever. Isn't that wonderful? We should have a party, right? But he rose again, so will they. The whole world is celebrating, giving gifts to each other. Turn it on again, honey. I want to see those two bodies there. This is great, you know. What poor kids in the middle of that. And after three days and a half, why is it three and a half days? I have no idea. Why? It's fine with me, why ever it is. After three days and a half, look, the spirit of life from God, that's who is also in us, Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet. And great fear, I guess, g- great fear fell upon them that saw them. So you imagine this. It's on TV. People are there. There's a party going. People are giving gifts to each other. The tormentors are gone. How wonderful. Look, they're blown to smithereens. They're laying there. And all of a sudden, you see an arm move. Wind. It was the wind blowing. You know, just then. Do we see parts coming back together? Then, you know, see these guys stand on their feet, healthy, put back together again, vibrant, standing. It says the whole great fear, because they must be thinking, oh, they're not going to be happy now. You know, great fear falls on the whole world. It says. And they're looking at this. Just imagine this scene. It's a a testimony about the resurrection as well. After three and a half days, the spirit of, of life from God enters into them, and they stood upon their feet. And great fear fell upon, notice, them which saw them, And they, the them who saw them, they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. Come on up here, boys. And and it says, And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Just imagine. You know, we watch the space shuttle on TV, the whole country sitting around, watching it go. Everybody's watching this. They're ascending into heaven. Did they do this? As they went up, you know, they, they, they ascend into heaven. The whole world is watching, it says. Fear has fallen on the people. 
death has no victory here. And they ascend. Look, the Lord tarries will will move into this great earthquake and the seventh trumpet, what happens after this. I look at it today and I think, all right, Lord, here we are now. There's a great testimony. We still have this freedom. You know, we're, we're meeting on Sunday. We, we thank the Lord. We're kind of, we have, we have no desire to be an affront to civil leaders and so forth. They have a terrible job to do. But the church needs to be together as well. So, we, you know, every other pew, we're trying to do, obey the spirit of the law. But our calling is like their calling. We have so many days till the trumpet blows. Nobody knows the day or the hour. And we are his witness in the earth now. Lost world, our brethren around the planet today, some are being persecuted and martyred. But we are that testimony now of the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to every tribe, kindred, people, nation to share the love of God with them. You, me, for such a time as this. That's why we're here. We're not here to do a hundred other things that we love to do. And God's mercies are new every morning. He daily loves us with benefits. You know, he's not... But, but, but that the purpose of us drawing the next breath is that until he's finished with us, we should give our testimony. Sometimes that's spoken, sometimes it's observed, right? We all good with that? There's a reason for us to be here now, everybody? You don't have to read ahead to agree with me, okay? (laughs) That's why we're here now. Remember during the week, look, be praying for your friends and relatives. Be praying for those that you love that are lost. This generation has been left up to us, the church that's here now, remarkably. We will finish our testimony and we will go up. The Antichrist shows up. The two prophets show up. 144,000 difficult times. But even in that, God would tell the lost world about his love. When these two ascend into heaven, then the great tribulation is beginning. God's wrath is beginning to move. Uh, but up until this point, even here, he has two witnesses that the whole world has heard their message, it says. The whole world. These things are happening around us. Look, you're here, you're a visitor. Understand, Israel comes back in 1948, becomes a, a nation again. It's a sociological miracle. They haven't lost their, their religion. They haven't lost their ancient language. This, this has never happened before, Ever. And there are people in Israel today, I've been there many, many times, talking about the temple, talking about rebuilding it or talking about Messiah bringing it. This is actually a debate in Israel today, the way it will really happen. Serious religious Jews are arguing about it because they expect it. And the Bible expects it as well and tells us this is what will be happening around that temple, not the temple of God in Ezekiel, but a temple, a religious structure that will be rebuilt. Not far away. Not far away. Could be, this temple could begin within a year. The rapture happens. Ezekiel happens. This could begin very quickly. How far away is it? How many do we know that will be down there watching them on TV instead of where we are? You're never going to regret when you get to heaven 
that you witnessed to Aunt Jane? Or your friend? You'll never regret it. We might regret, and I'm assuming there's no regrets in heaven, but we might regret the people that we didn't witness to when we had the opportunity. Let's share the love of Christ with the lost world. We are living in the last days. People don't have to believe that. You know, people can push that away. But you, all you need to do is turn on the TV and you see Israel in the middle of, of world tensions. And, and there's even a parable in the name of the nation. Is real. Israel is real. Get it? It doesn't matter what theologians say. Israel is real. It's in front of us every day. That's where the tensions of the world center in the Middle East. And we're watching it. We're living in it. We should take the exhortation because I believe we're his testimony in the world now until he takes us. Let's stand. Let's pray together. If you're here today, look, I can't imagine wandering into a study like this, not being a believer. You're here today and you don't know Christ as we worship at the end, you're welcome just to come up here. We want to pray with you at the end of the service. We'd love to give you a Bible, some literature. If you don't know where you're going to be in eternity, you need to know that. And you're standing here in the middle of this. And listen, everything you're hearing, you can be going, what? I knew this was a weird place. But in your heart, there's another language. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. The Holy Spirit would think, he would speak of things that are yet to come. So in your mind, you can make fun of this, but in your heart, something undeniable takes place, and you have to think innately, you're feeling, wow, you know, I hope this ain't true. Wow, what, 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 you know, if I was talking about Godzilla, you wouldn't be doing that, because you know he's not real. But we're speaking about the scripture, we're speaking about God Almighty, we're speaking about Jesus Christ, we're speaking about prophecy, and we're speaking about what's happening in the world today, and the Holy Spirit is giving testimony of that in the hearts of those who don't believe. So if that's happening in your heart today, we're living in these days, and you've never come to Jesus Christ again, forget about Calvary Chapel, forget about religion, forget about denominations, Jesus Christ, he's the risen one, empty tomb in Jerusalem loves you, died for you. You've never come to him. I just encourage you as we sing the last song to come. If, you, if a friend brought you, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll get down with you. Stand here as we finish worshiping or come up after the service. We'd love to give you a Bible. We'd love to pray with you. Father, I know you've overheard. And Lord, we put all of this before you. Your word says you're, you're the one, Lord. The daily adds such as should be saved. It's your work, Lord. But we're thankful, Lord, for the, the prophetic word. We're thankful, Lord, that you forecast, Lord, for us, Lord, so many of these things. We're thankful that through the lens of Scripture we can see a bit into the future, Lord. And help us to respond to that and live the way we should with these things before us. I know you're able to do that, Lord. Lord, we lift anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that their eternity would change today, their eternal destiny, Lord. Do that work, Lord. Hear our hearts as we lift our voices now, we pray in your name. Amen.